when we look at modern business, we seem to be getting more and more multinational teams. You know, a bright example of how our national background influences the way we communicate is how we structure our message. Because in teamwork, responsibility is shared. I like this point about questions because I personally believe that questions are one of the greatest tools in communication. You know, I believe cultural stereotypes are dangerous. They generalize people and they create the ground for biases. We should pay the same attention both to cultural differences and cultural similarities. Welcome to People Tech and Other Weirdness, the not so serious soft serve podcast. Here we collect stories from our people about their roles and rules, game changing decisions, wins, walls, and falls. You'll hear about technologies from those who create them. Let's see who we have on today. Hi, everyone. Buckle up for a new podcast. Today, we are talking about the role of national culture in teams' communication and collaboration. So, welcome, everybody. My name is Tatiana Hranovaitska, and I'm privileged to be your host today. I'm also excited to be here with uh, Svetlana Vojtkiv, who we are colleagues with. Hi, Svetlana. Hi, Tanya. I'm happy to be here today with you. And I would like to say hi to everyone who will be listening to this podcast. Right. You know, Svetlana, I always find it challenging to quickly explain what I do and what my role at SoftServe is. How would you introduce yourself? I know, it's a great question. Whenever I'm asked what I do and I say I am a communication consultant, I always have the challenge to explain what it stands for. So I'd say I'm like a clockmaker using magnifying glass to look into the mechanism of the clock, meaning Teams communication, and trying to analyze how its elements interact and then trying to find the best way possible to synchronize them and to make their work more efficient. I do like your metaphor. It uh, definitely visual, visualized what we do. Uh, at least for me, it created this bright picture of uh, how we work and what we do. Um, I would then say that um, I'm a kind of an engineer or civil engineer who mm-hmm. constructs or reconstructs bridges between software teams and their customers. So by analyzing the culture of a team and the culture of their customer, um, I or the team suggests what kind of bridge it should be or how how to strengthen the existing one. Slan, today we are talking about national culture and the role of national culture in what we do. Everyone would agree that uh, working in an international culture has become a usual and ordinary thing nowadays. Mm-hmm. How would you define the role of uh, national culture in communication inside the team? I would start with the definition of national culture before explaining its role. You know, there mm-hmm. are a lot of thoughts about what national culture is and what it isn't. I'd invite you to think of a society as of a sports team, let's say football, volleyball or hockey. Uh, so you mean that one society is a team of soccer players, another society is a team of basketball players, then some society is a, is a team of volleyball players, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. At first glance, they are similar. They, have, um, they both have uh, people in their teams, right? And they use ball to play their game and they have a common goal to score points. But the rules by which they play, they are different. And the way in which they are trying to reach their goal is not the same. All right, I see what you mean. So countries are sports teams and uh, their national culture is the rules they play by. 
And you know what I'm thinking about now? When we look at modern business, we seem to be getting more and more multinational teams. Or if to continue with your metaphor, we are getting more and more teams that are formed of a couple of soccer players, some basketball players, mm-hmm. and occasionally even a tennis player or, or a gymnast as well. And uh, we often see that they continue playing their own game. They continue reaching the goal by their own rules. So the earlier they recognize it, the smoother their cooperation should be. Right. That, that's exactly what I meant. You know, a bright example of how our national background influences the way we communicate is how we structure our message. There are countries like the UK, the USA or Singapore where the emphasis is put on what. So the key point goes first. For example, a specific request and only then the explanation why they're asking for something. On the Mm -hmm. other hand, right. And on the other hand, there are countries like Ukraine, Poland or Bulgaria where people find it difficult to accept the what if they don't know the why behind it, if they don't know where the request or the decision comes from. That's why they themselves are likely to start with the explanation before getting to a specific request. I seem to know what you mean. Um, It's one of my most common observations as well. The way we create a message and the way we deliver our message does matter and is different. I remember comparing the styles of a Ukrainian engineer and his American peer was a Ukrainian uh, engineer when formulating his message would usually say, um, hey, Joshua, today we are having a meeting with Drew about the checkout flow. We must decide today whether we'll be including regions or not. And this meeting overlaps with our one-to-one. So could we please reschedule our one-to-one. Mm-hmm. So the what of the message would go at the very end, only after he explained and justified his request. And uh, Joshua's style was something like, uh, hey, Paolo, could, could we reschedule our one-to-one, please, because you have an overlap at that time. The what was at the very beginning because it is the main part of the message for him. And the why was mentioned too, but it was much shorter and with fewer details in comparison with Pavlov's style. Uh That is the great example that shows that the way we structure our message reflects the difference in our thinking patterns. That's interesting, thinking patterns. Where do these thinking patterns come from? Well, that's a great question. If we want to trace the roots, we should go back to ancient philosophical schools and um, analyze which of them influence a certain country most. But if you're looking for reason in modern world, we the first thing we have to pay attention to is educational system, right? How we learn, how we get new knowledge. Is it by learning theory first and then apply, applying it to practical examples as we do in Ukraine or Romania? Or is it by doing a task first and only then learn from your successes and failures? This is the approach that is used in the US or UK. Uh-huh. And this reminded me of another example. And, um, you know, there are people who like uh, studying with what and they prefer moving from practice to theory, as you say. And such people would definitely expect action instead of reflection. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of just do it, people. They prefer, let's give it a try approach. And they will be impatient discussing why it might be risky to implement something or why potential consequences, uh, like what potential consequences they are likely to deal with. And they would rather try out a new approach and then deal with consequences, uh, but only with those consequences that finally come up. Mm-hmm. Right. At the same time, there are people who use different thinking patterns, who start with why, and they prefer theory-to-practice approach. You know, it will be really uncomfortable and maybe even stressful for them to start implementing a new approach without a thorough analysis. First, they will need to know why the certain approach was chosen. And second, right, and second, they will need time to talk about all the potential risks and how to handle them in case they occur. Which in inside the team might lead to a clash, right? Mm-hmm. Americans, for example, might see the Ukrainian or German peers as skeptical as those who are wasting time instead of taking an action. And Ukrainians or Germans might see Americans as being impatient or even careless. Mm, by the way, there was um, there was a case when an American product owner, after listening to the discussion in the team of Ukrainians, said, guys, why don't you just roll up your sleeves and do it? Why are you spending so much time predicting what can possibly go wrong? Mm, right. And that creates a reason for misunderstanding. Speaking about misunderstanding, uh, which sometimes might lead even to a conflict. Is there anything you would like to highlight in the context of an international team? Sure. If we narrow down the the, the notion of conflict to to cases where the opposing ideas are expressed, then we should remember that there are cultures like Polish, German or US American where people will be more ready and willing uh, to express different opinion, to speak up and stand up for it. At the same time, there are cultures like Ukrainian, Bulgarian or Indian that would be more concerned about saving their face. And they might find it difficult to say that they think differently, mm-hmm. especially in public. And um, especially if they are junior or middle specialist in a meeting with their senior colleagues or with managers. All right. Especially in the meeting with senior colleagues or managers. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. And um, mm, I'm, I'm now thinking that I once was with a team uh, some time ago and they were in a planning meeting. Uh, they were estimating tasks for the coming sprint. And mm-hmm. uh, in that meeting, seven out of eight people give a task five points, while one engineer, a U.S. American, says it's two points. And he explains that the task looks similar to the one they did in the previous sprint, and uh, it will be possible to reuse a big chunk of the code, which will greatly simplify the task. So they take a couple of minutes to discuss it, and that one person manages to convince the whole team. So Mm -hmm. they continue the estimation of the task, of the next task, and this time seven out of eight people give this new task two points, while one engineer, a Ukrainian person, says it's three points. And when the team asks why he thinks so, the answer is, well, I thought it's three, but if you all say two, okay, I agree, it's two. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great example of what I was talking about. Example is great, but 
Do you think we could t- recommend teams uh, how to avoid such situations in the future? Mm, yeah, how to avoid. Uh, you know, I like saying that everybody in a team is like a parent of their project, which means that everyone is equally responsible and accountable for its success. So if you have an opinion or idea that is different from what the rest of the team think, then there should be a good reason for it. And your task is to find a way to express that, to show that. If you still do not feel comfortable expressing your opinion in the form of arguments, you can always ask a question. For mm-hmm. example, the team gives a new task two story points and you believe it should be three. You can just ask, how easy will it be to integrate it into module A if you're going to use a new database here? Uh-huh. It's easy to find a solution if we take responsibility and if we are if we feel accountable mm-hmm. for, for the task, for the project, for the success of the team. And um, your example shows that there is always a way if there is a will. Right, there is. Mm-hmm. And if you notice that there is a person that still doesn't feel comfortable going against the opinion of others, we might want to guess what? Uh, what? <laughs> we can also ask a question. Something like, uh-huh. what risks might we be overlooking? Or what challenges should we consider? Because in teamwork, responsibility is shared, right? Right, it is always shared. And it doesn't matter whether we are speaking about doing project tasks together or communication. In the conversation, everybody who's involved in it is responsible for the for the outcomes. You don't uh, give me a good answer because I don't ask you a good question. Or if I seem to be asking too many questions, that's probably because I cannot get the necessary information from what you are telling me. I like this point about questions because I personally believe that questions are one of the greatest tools in communication. And uh, now I'm wondering if you have noticed anything culture-specific about the use of questions. Uh, well, uh, an example that instantly comes to my mind is the meeting of a Ukrainian-Polish team. The questions from the Polish uh, colleagues were often uh, perceived as a, as a challenge, right? Uh, I remember in our one-to-ones with the Ukrainian side of the team, I would hear something uh, something like that from them. Our Polish colleagues expect us to be creative and innovative, but then they would question and challenge the rationale behind every idea we give. Do you mean that the Polish team members asked questions to show their involvement and to contribute to brainstorming, and the Ukrainians took it as a threat? Yeah, exactly. You know, I've seen something similar in meetings between Germans and Bulgarians, where Bulgarians would feel threatened. How would you explain such a behavior? It's a great question. I'd say there might be a couple of reasons and it could be influenced by different factors. But both the Ukrainian and Bulgarian societies tend to be concerned about the image of an expert, right? It means that the more experience I get, the stronger my expertise becomes and the more sensitive I become to making a mistake. Right. Yes. So so if I express an idea, uh, but my team has questions about it, or they still cannot understand it, right, then either my idea is not that great, or I cannot clearly explain it. 
And both cases are equally painful for people in societies where experts are supposed to know their areas perfectly. Mm-hmm. And where experts are afraid of uh, saying, I don't know, or I can't explain it now. Yeah, uh, makes sense to me. And, you know, I'm also, I'm also thinking about the Ukrainian and Bulgarian societies as being group-oriented. And we know that in such cultures, people are um, in general concerned about what other people might think of them. So uh, when I give an idea in front of other people and then I get a lot of questions about my idea, I get anxious. I get anxious about what opinion the team will have about me. If, for example, my idea turns out to be weak or, or irrelevant, and this anxiety causes my defensive behavior when I start answering questions. Yeah, yeah, this aspect is important too. That's true. Then w- what should we do about questions in an international team? Stop asking them? Definitely no. You know, we never have to cease asking questions. It's not about the question itself even. It's rather about how we ask it. We can say, and how is A related to B? Or we can say, I'm not sure I understand how A is related to B. Can you feel the difference? I can for sure. So it's not about uh, what we say, but it's about how we do it. And uh, speaking about your examples, the second one does sound softer. And it puts me being unable to grasp the idea in the spotlight, not your idea. Yeah, that's the point of it. Good. Zetlan, I have another question for you. Mm-hmm. Speaking about international teams, um, what would you say was your biggest insight about the role of national culture? Mm, the biggest insight? I would say it's... Uh, Being observant and curious is the key. Oh, what do you mean by that? I mean that it's, of course, important to understand cultural differences when we work with people with different cultural backgrounds. But it's also very important to understand that we never deal with the whole nation, right? We we deal only with a certain representative of that nation. And... uh, To understand his or her preferences, we should watch their behavior attentively. So we should be observant. And right. it's even, yeah, and it, it's about being observant. And if uh, we speak about uh, the the other important factor is um, we have to think about people's motivation, right? Or why they behave in the way they do. So in other words, we should be curious and ask ourselves, what is important for this person right now and right here. In other words, are you saying that we should stop stereotyping people? Yeah, that's right. You know, I believe cultural stereotypes are, ge- are dangerous. They generalize people and they create the ground for biases. We have to go deeper than that and we have to look for what is important for, for them, for these people. Only then we are likely to see more than Germans are not, you know, to see more than these stereotypes. Like if we speak about some nationalities, we would say Germans are not necessarily critical. The way they give feedback just reflects that they are honest and they care for quality. Um, Italians, yeah. Italians are not short-tempered. They are involved and caring. 
And Polish are not opinionated, right? That they don't challenge us with their questions. They value personal opinion and the ability to stand up for it. And Ukrainians are not pushy. They see time as invaluable resource and try to be efficient with it. And I wonder, Tanya, what was eye-opening for you about the role of national culture? Oh, for me, um, thank you for asking me, by the way. Um, I've been thinking about it too, of course. And, you know, at some point I realized that when culture comes into play, we tend to focus on um, cultural differences, assuming that they will be the reason for misunderstanding inside the team. And mm -hmm. from my experience, cultural similarities might be even more tricky. Um, you know, it's like when we bring two magnets together. The opposing poles will attract one another, but the like poles will definitely repel one another. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a thought, you know, already have this image in my mind. Uh, it doesn't mean that um, cultures with a lot of similarities will definitely repel one another, but there yeah. might be tricky cases, so we should be careful about them too. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, now, I now have a, um, an example. I once was uh, with a Ukrainian-Bulgarian team, and uh, both nations are rather consensus-driven, meaning uh, they are not likely to bring up a small issue or concern until it's really burning and they cannot hide it anymore. So it happened. Uh, there was some small issue between the Ukrainian and Bulgarian part of the team, but both parties decided to bury it. Um, mm. You know, and the, then uh, it, as it usually happens, the small issue, it grew into a really big one. And it also caused uh, gossiping and silent sabotage along the way. And at the end, uh, it cost project a couple of extraordinary engineers who just refused to work with one another and uh, left the project. Uh, that's a pity, but it just goes to show Mm -hmm. We should pay the same attention both to cultural differences and cultural similarities. And uh, Svetlana, I guess our listeners, attentive listeners, mm -hmm. might have a question here. As you say that both the Ukrainian and Bulgarian cultures are consensus-driven, at the same time in your example, we see they didn't do much to reach any consensus. How come? <laughs> What a good question. When I said that they are consensus-driven, I didn't mean that they will necessarily, you know, always choose this this way of dealing with things. It's just what they prioritize. When they have a choice to confront this opinion or reject it or try to integrate it into the existing situation, chances are they will opt for this one. At the same time, cultural values are never about black or white, positive or negative, right? It's not that simple. That is not for sure. And um, you mean that it's not usually about what we believe, but it's more about what we choose to do to show our values. It's about our behavior that we choose actually, right? Right, right. Actions always speak louder than words. And that's where our soft skills come into play. Because while being consensus-driven, it's always up to us what to choose whether to keep silent because we don't want to stir the water or to ask a question and open the dialogue or to give feedback and open the dialogue. Right. The choice is always on us. Thank you so much, Sitvan, for being my partner today and mm -hmm. for making the conversation so deep and so interesting. 
I trust our listeners got a couple of insights for themselves as well. Yeah, thank you, Tanya. It's my pleasure. And I'm glad to be part of any initiative that can help our teams to become more stronger or more confident in building relations with each other or with their customers. Yeah, thank you. And to our listeners, um, we appreciate you being with us. And I can't help but give you a small teaser. Stay culturally tuned because more is coming. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.